All right, and we're on. Hello, everybody. This is Patrick Chavis, and you're listening to LA Theater Bites. And I am here with Ross Jackson. Uh, he's a stage manager at a whole bunch of places. Last time I checked, he was a stage manager at the Geffen Playhouse in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And he's on here, and I uh, just want to talk to him, uh, pick his mind about what it's like being a stage manager in Los Angeles and all the different intricacies of the job. And let's uh, just maybe, you know, to learn something about what's going on. You know, you can actually make a living doing theater. So, right. You know, it's, this, is a, this is a thing. This is a thing. And there's real hardworking people every day, you know, working behind the scenes to make it happen. And Ross happens to be just one of these people. Um, so, Ross, um, last time I actually saw you in literal human form, I think, was New York. Yeah, yeah, that's I right. just got married. And so this was about three or four years ago. Yeah. And you were working as an intern um, at Wicked in, yep. in New York. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. I was interning for the stage management team out there. All right. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what what's the what's the journey, man, from you were uh, you were you were interning in New York on Broadway at one of the biggest uh, theater shows ever, Wicked. Right. And and now and now you're in, in L.A. and you're working at the and you're working as a stage manager at, at the Geffen. What's the what's the, uh, the the what's the journey to get to, to go from from somewhere there to where you are now? Yo, that's a great question, because it's it's a very it's a very personal journey. It's not really a, a professional journey. You know, we hear a lot about people oftentimes that, you know, they go to New York and then maybe they make the decision to move to, the, you know, move across the country for more work and things like that. And I did that for a little while because I was living in New York essentially for a year. I was there for one summer and then the rest of the year I was working kind of out of town. I was out of the state all over the place. And then for the following summer, then I was back in New York. So even though I was there for a year, I was really only there for like four or five months total. Um, yeah. But that experience with Wicked was incredible, incredibly invaluable as well. Um, you know, I got to learn a lot doing that. Uh, I because you didn't just focus in stage management, right? Uh, the majority of what you did was in stage management. But you know, I got to help not help, but I got to be present for Alphaba being painted green, I got to help run quick changes in in rehearsals, I helped teach Madame Morrible and, um, and, uh, and the wizard some of their parts when we had some replacements coming in, things like that, you know, I had just finished I literally finished my master's program at UC Irvine in stage management on Saturday. I walked Sunday. I got on a plane Monday. I was held over in Dallas and then I got into New York Monday night and then Tuesday morning I started with Wicked. So it was all in the course of about four days. And because I had that master's degree, thankfully, and a master's degree from a good program like UC Irvine, uh, they trusted me with a little bit more than your usual sort of intern status. You know, I wasn't just the person that went out and got coffee and did all, I did do those things. I went and got roses for people's first nights and things like that. But I was really trusted with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the teaching part of the job that the production stage manager does. Because once the director leaves, it's up to the PSM and maybe an associate director that comes in every now and then to rehearse new actors that are coming in to take over old parts because you just plug and play basically. And so I got to help throughout that process. And then when I was done with that, I went to, where did I go next? I went to Portland, Oregon. I'd stage managed a couple shows with Profile Theater in Portland, Oregon. Down is, that in, a, 
Was that a a, a big change um, compared to New York? Do they work oh, differently over there? Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I mean, you know, the West Coast, East Coast personalities, I don't really find to be as different as people like to pretend like they are. You get a lot of people that talk about how like, oh, West Coast is like too laid back and things like that. And East Coasters are just like completely like horrid and, you know, have these bad personalities. That's just not really my case. I mean, I had a guy chase me down for two blocks in uh, in New York to return my phone to me, which I left in a hotel bathroom because that's where you go to use the bathroom when you're stuck in Times Square. And, you know, it's, it's just like the personalities of the people don't really reflect the uh, sort of reputation of the people, if that makes sense. And yeah. so, you know, everybody's, yeah, everybody's dedicated to the work and everything like that. And so my work in Portland, a little bit more experimental than sort of the careful, more careful work that's done in New York. You know, once you get into like the equity realm and then you're doing those sort of like Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows, it's a little bit more precise, the type of work that you're doing. Whereas when you're working with sort of those lower level theaters, whether it be, you know, a, a small SBT contract, for instance, which is a small professional theater in the eyes of equity, uh, or you're working on maybe a New York showcase code or something like that, there's like less risk involved. And so the, or let me not say it that way, I'll say that there's less stakes involved. And so, you know, you get more experimental work and stuff like that. So I did a little bit of that in Portland, Oregon. And then when I was done with that, I went back to Dallas. I did uh, public works in Dallas, which was an incredible experience because that was an experience where we had a cast of 206 people. And I had to know everybody's name. And we basically had five different uh, community organizations that came through to help us create this Tempest musical, basically. Uh, just just because I want to point it out so that I'm not like trying to ignore it. There is a rehearsal happening in the other room. So you, everybody might hear a little bit of backup noise, but that's the life, yo. That's yeah. the life of working in theater. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, right, right, yeah. Uh, and so I went to Dallas for a little bit and then uh, back to New York. And when we were back in New York and we were doing a show, my fiance and I, uh, girlfriend at the time, but we were living together and I came home one night and she looked at me and she was like, we, we got to talk and, uh, <laughs> and stuff. It's so always like, yeah, I think we do. And it's so we sat down. Just right? That, man. right? Yeah. As, and she was like, I really want to go back to California. Like my family is there. I'm homesick. I really want to go back. And I looked at her and I was like, thank you you thank you thank you thank you because i was so ready to be done with new york not because i had a bad experience in new york but i just felt myself becoming somebody that i wasn't i'm not a grumpy person but i found myself being a little bit more grumpy i didn't really like the lifestyle that i was living even though i was lining up work at predominant theaters in the city I just didn't really like the way that the structure was for me. I'm a little bit more of the person that wants to strike a work-life balance. And I felt like because of the amount of time that I had to spend boots on the ground in New York, I wasn't able to actually do that. So we came back what out if, here. Is, uh, if I could ask you, yeah. when you say boots on the ground, what, how, how much, how much, how many hours of work are you talking about? What well, does it stand for? yeah, it's a, it, it's a combination of the work, the travel time to get to and from work. And you're reliant on somebody else to get you from place to place. You're taking the subway, you're taking a cab, you're taking a bus, whatever. Yeah. And you're not really ever on your own clock there. You're kind of always on somebody else's clock. And that's kind of how I felt. And so the boots on the ground, uh, sort of analogy is just simply that I, I felt like in order for me to really like get to work on time and things like that, I would have to leave like mad early and so like, this is really 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 like surface level kind of high maintenance bull crap on my part but i just didn't really like the way that it worked for me and you know i'm i'm somebody that really strongly believes in striking a work-life balance and being able to make a living for yourself and i've been successful with that within stage management and it's probably the biggest question that i usually get from students and things like that is how do you do that and the way that i've always been able to do that is that like look the work is going to demand what the work needs from me and i'm going to give it that i'm going to give it whatever it demands but i'm going to focus the rest of my energy 
strictly on home, family, and happiness. Because in my right hand, if I've got home, family, happiness, and in my left hand, I've got work. If everything in that left hand, all that work disappears, I need to be happy with what I've got left in home, family, and happiness in my right hand. And so that's something I've always lived very strongly by. And I feel like I was able to do that a lot more effectively here in LA than I was able to do in New York. And that is a little bit because of my, just my personality in terms of being able to do my work, but also just because like, I wanted to make sure that I was dedicating myself, all of myself and what was needed for me to do the art and do the work justice at the same time. Um, and so the demands were just a little bit different. So we came back out here to LA and the things just took off. Like once I got here, I got very lucky, met the right set of people, uh, got in at the Geffen and I've done, uh, I started there, the last last season's first show and i've done eight seven shows yeah i've done seven shows since then uh in the last two years there which is a great family to be a part of over there at the geffen and then i'm taking other work in like smaller places as you know i just did the uh i was a floor manager for the media grand opening for star wars galaxy's edge over at disneyland uh which was incredible and then actually right now i'm working with the la phil on a new opera so or uh, not a new opera but uh, a new opera to la it's a west coast premiere and so i'm going to be doing that as well and so you know you just pick up the the work that you like and then the work that challenges you and then you just roll with that and that's kind of how i ended up getting out here yeah so it sounds like you. It sounds like you like you do a whole bunch. Besides, you're doing stage managing, but you're doing a whole bunch of different events, not just plays. I mean, Gavin, I guess you're doing similar stuff. But now you're going and you're doing Star a Star Wars thing. So is there like, um, have you just had enough experience where all this stuff kind of just kind of comes easy to you, or is there a learning curve with the, with the with the new material each with with each new job? Yeah, there's most definitely a learning curve. One of the advantages to being a stage manager is that 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 kind of comes naturally once you stage manage for long enough. And that's not, I mean, I've, I haven't been stage managing for a long, I've been stage managing for maybe 10 years. You know I mean, I've maybe just hit the decade mark. And so I'm still actually pretty young and early in my career. I've only been in the union for about three. And so every, the thing about it is that every show is a brand new experience and every show has a different set of circumstances and a different set of, uh, of needs, right? And so you end up having to sort of retrain yourself the first day of every rehearsal anyway. And then so, you know, you end up kind of having to retool and sort of reload every time that you start a new show. And so with that, you kind of get used to the changing environments. And because so many of the skills of a stage manager are, tr uh, are you know, they, they translate well, it, it kind of gets easy to kind of jump into those other things, you know, uh, stage managing as a floor manager for a media event is a lot of, I compared it to doing like baby ballet, recitals not because and that's not me making a comment on like news person personalities or anything like that it's just the structure of it you get one news group into whatever it is that they're covering you get the next group standing by on deck once that first group leaves you move the next group in and then it's yeah. just it's it's just like doing like a baby ballet segment and yeah. stuff and so you know i did probably I might have done like 70 of those when I was an undergrad just because of the amount of rentals that I was a part of over the course of four years at my old theater at uh, University of Arkansas at Little Rock, which is where I did my theater arts undergrad bachelor's degree. And so that experience translated directly to this high uh, priority sort of high, um, uh, high media event which is kind of incredible that something that small helps to inform you with something much larger. And then same thing with opera, it's just a whole other different set of skills. Like if you can, if you can read a score and if you can keep up with music, then you can do the job of an assistant stage manager for an opera because that's all you're doing. You're literally reading the music and then just giving cues based off the music. And so you sit there with the score in your hand and you flip through and you just do what you told yourself to do because you wrote it down. Right, and right. so it's just, it's just a different approach. 
Um, so far as yeah, since you've been working at the Giffen, um, what are, what are some challenges you think that that maybe some extraordinary challenges that that happened that you were like, this is impossible. <laughs> Anything like that? Anything like that ever occur? In it? And what's the story behind it? Uh, never to the point to where I said that this is impossible because you kind of you you know as a stage manager you you kind of come from a place of neutrality. And so a lot of it is that you don't say no, you don't say we can't do this, but instead you say, well, what if we did this, you know, because you have to take yeah, it right, into, right. <laughs> you have to take into consideration safety and stuff like that. You know, so there are certain things where if you're like, I want that person to hang from a trapeze by their pinky toe while filing their nails upside down in a pool of pudding, then you might be like, let's not do that. However, uh, there are other things we might be able to do. Thankfully, I've not done that show yet. And I don't know what that show is. It doesn't exist yet, but maybe it will because of some listener that hears that and goes, what a great idea. Uh, but I warn you to be very careful and potentially consider using projections. But uh, when it comes to doing stuff like that, you tend to kind of come from a place of neutrality and come from a place of presenting solutions, right? You never just say, nah, can't do that. It's always, well, we have this option, this option, and this option. And that's something that I kind of learned from somebody at one point that was, um, you know, Patricia McGregor, who's an outstanding director who directed uh, Skeleton Crew, as well as Lights Out over at the Geffen Playhouse, to where she's just like, she'll come up with ideas and everything. And the way that she and I have learned to work together is to be like, um, is to be like, well, here are the options. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then here's like all of the different things that we can do. Uh, so that we can so that we can make that happen and so that we can sort of maintain that artistic integrity and then get that out on get 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 your vision out on the uh, out on the stage. And so I think some of those challenges just come from, you know, the Geffen Playhouse has gone through a really big change here recently with their artistic director coming in, Max Shackman, who's an incredible artistic director, and Amy Levinson, who's taken over as the associate artistic director. And they just have a large vision for what the theater has the ability to has the ability to create. You know, they're doing a show right now, Mysterious Circumstances, that I'm not a part of, but it's got 33 scene shifts in it with tons of automation. And that's a yeah. lot to pull off. And it's an incredibly exciting time at that theater because people aren't saying no. People are saying, let's try something new. And I think that that's the thing about it is that like, yeah, there are times where something might feel impossible, but there's always a way to make it work in the theater. And that's one of the things that has made theater one of the greatest living art forms that we still have, even now to 2019. So... Um, there's so many different positions when it comes to the things that need to be done to to put on a theater show, as you know, and stuff like that. I mean, you're a stage manager for sure. <laughs> but why uh, why stage management? Why was it that specific venue that you, your life your life went towards that direction? What happened? Uh, I think that for me, so I started stage managing my freshman year of college, which is not the time to start stage managing, uh, <laughs> because when when I was in high school, the stage manager was the person that called five minutes open the curtain and then sat down for an hour and a half until the show was over. And then so when I started going to college and I went to undergrad, we had a production techniques class that we had to take, which is essentially like a 101 course that you had to do some kind of, you had to operate in some kind of technical capacity in order to audition basically. And then so I did that because I was there on an acting scholarship, but then I got the chance to really learn what stage management was. And I faked a lot of it. And then I figured it out, which is what a lot of stage managers do. Uh, and I fell in love with it. I came from a place that was really unstable, uh, homelessness. Um, I had, uh, you know, lived in New Orleans for 15 years of my life until Hurricane Katrina hit and Hurricane Katrina happened two weeks after brain surgery to remove a brain tumor. And so it was just, it was a lot of stuff that was going on. It was still circulating and I was still kind of reeling from even just four years later or three, yeah, four years later. Uh, and you, I, the thing that I loved about stage management was that it was the first time in my life 
aside from the relationship that my mother and I had built with all the things that we had been through together, that somebody else came up to me and asked me for an answer. I was trusted with responsibility all of a sudden. And all of the answers that I needed to have and all the responsibilities that I had were in this little binder that I was stable and that I didn't have to worry about disappearing because I didn't take it home because I left it at the theater because I was terribly afraid that I would leave it at home and not have it for rehearsal the next day if I ever left the theater with it. And so those kinds of things were huge for me at that point in my life. And that just kind of fed into the passion that I found in it. And I love problem solving. I love when people come to me and say, hey, we have this thing that we want to achieve, but we're having trouble figuring it out. And then you get a group of people together that all have different experiences, all come from different backgrounds, all focal, you know, that all sort of like focus in a completely different localized pretty much unrelated field, right? Lighting and sound don't terribly, they don't have a lot to really do with one another, but when you put them together, they you create something incredible. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, you do those kinds of things and you work with those people that are specialized in all those different fields. And then you come up with an answer. You all come together. You say yes to one thing, despite your, you know, vast differences, your vast experiences, and your vast diversity. And then you create this thing that you know, thousands of people enjoy on a weekly basis. And that's an incredible thing to be a part of. We create worlds and then we get to help people live in them. It sounds like you guys create miracles because that's not like it just, uh, I, I, I know the experience of, you know, this, this idea having to deal with so many different people and every, right. everybody has their own, you're, it's, it's amazing. Everyone has their own idea of what um, perfection is or what success is. So yeah, it's uh I mean, we see all these shows, they, they get produced all the time, uh, whether they're good or bad. Right. It's amazing when you think about how many, how, how people think and how, how we, how we are as humans that any shows get done at all. And right. They, yeah. <laughs> but somehow they do the good and the bad, you know? <laughs> so I guess you can, if you really just look at it, like every show is kind of a little miracle in itself. When it when when it's actually being put on and being produced, even the bad ones. Even yeah, bad ones. absolutely, man. Every show is a whole new life, right? Like that's yeah. the idea of theater is to go up there and create a representation of what life is at the time of the story that you're telling. Or in today's time, even if it's something like The Crucible, which was written many, many, many moons ago, you can find yeah, a way really. to make that. Yeah, you can make that relevant to today and everything that people are feeling and everything that people are. are you know, the idea of a witch hunt is something that's not foreign to certain groups of people even today. And so you can do that and you can create something that is essentially reflective of life, depending, you know, completely irrelevant of when the creation or when it's sort of uh, 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 intellectual conception was. Yeah. Yeah. If, um, if someone, if uh, someone wanted to start really getting into stage managing, especially in Los Angeles um, right now, what, what would you, what would you recommend? Do you think it's uh it's more of a something you study from a book or is it, definitely more it's definitely a job that's more about hands-on experience i think it's definitely a job about hands-on experience and you get that experience in a lot of different ways i mean you can be a production assistant at either a company or an events company and learn the same skills as being a production assistant or a stage manager on a show right that's the thing that's really incredible same thing with film you become a production assistant for film and you can learn some of the same skill sets that translate to being a production stage manager for a major regional theater there's not really a too small and there's certainly not a too large in the theater uh, as as I'm learning uh, at this moment uh, and everything uh, with the show that I'm doing at the LA Phil, which has a yeah, I think it's like a 60 foot globe 
that we perform on that includes yeah. like slanted walkways and all this other stuff and everything. And it's incredible. Like we all just kind of say, screw vertigo, we're going to make it happen. And we just yeah. kind of do it, you know, and it's amazing, you know? Yeah. And so all of the skills that I know that helped me to do that job, as well as the assistant stage managers and the stage managers that are part of that show all come from a very foundational place of understanding of what it's like to just exist safely within the theater and perform safely within the theater. Uh, and so I would say, say yes to every opportunity that you get, especially here in LA, because that everybody knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, you know what I'm saying? And it's not yeah. just LA. a lot of people will tell you that it's about who you know, not what you do or who you are, but it's also about why they know you. So make sure they know you for a good reason. You know what I'm saying? Make sure that yeah. they know you because you jumped onto a 99 seat theater or you jumped into a community theater production and treated it with the type of professionalism that you would bring to the Mark Taper Forum or to you know the Amundsen Theater or one of the larger theaters here in Los Angeles. They want you to be able to go into those types of settings and say, I know how to operate as a professional, no matter what it is that my expectations expectations are in this process. But then also understand the idea of translating down. If you start off at a place like the Wallace Annenberg in, uh, in, in Beverly Hills, and you're working for a major regional theater, and then you decide that you really love a show that's working in one of the smaller theaters, you can't go to the smaller theater and demand the same type of resources that the larger theater had. So you have to be able to be comfortable, flexible, and sort of malleable in all of those different environments and treat them all with the same level of respect, as opposed to demanding a certain level of respect across all those different mediums. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, I th I think uh, I think I've asked pretty much asked uh, all the questions. That is, is there anything or anything uh, that you would like to uh, impart as far as um, budding, but any anything else uh, budding stage managers? might not be aware of when they start when they start to coming into the field. Yeah, um you know, one of the other things that I would always recommend is uh, and this this might sound goofy, but this is the world that we live in now in the 21st century is that Facebook is an incredible resource for young stage managers in particular areas. So if you're interested in stage managing in a particular area, if you're interested in stage managing in say Chicago, uh then you can, you know, Google uh, Chicago Stage Manager Group. Los Angeles has an LA Theater Group. I'm sorry, an LA Stage Manager Group as well as an LA Theater Group as well as, you know, theater jobs I think is another group. There's lots of gigs LA. There's lots of different group resources where people just go on and say, I have this job posting. It's from a friend. They're looking for somebody immediately. Is anybody available? And if you have those skills, you can jump in and say yes. If you don't have those skills, but are confident that you can build those skills really quickly, you can jump in and say yes. And you know that helps you sort of gather all of those smaller opportunities and perhaps some larger opportunities as well. Uh, one of the other things that I'll say is that you know if you're a stage manager of color, I'm one of 12 black men in the union of 54,000 and people in Actors' Equity that stage manages. There's 12 of us in this country in terms of black men that are part of the union. Um, and we all know each other, which is pretty dope. Uh, but you know, if you're if you're a person of color, there's also stage manager POC groups that you can join and things like that to make sure that you get specific support when you have a question about something you may be experiencing uh, in, in you know, your rehearsal room or in your theater or anything like that. And then the last thing that I would say too would also be make sure that you tell people what it is that you want. You know, put it out there. It's not just about like this whole like, you know, the secret, right? Uh, uh, you put it out in the universe and the universe gives it back to you. Yeah. But you need to be comfortable saying this is what I want to be able to achieve so that people that can help you achieve that will help you achieve that. Yeah, yeah right, right. Um, so well, I actually I just thought of one other thing. I yeah, to please. Thing, but it's like I, what, one thing I never I never knew about you. I didn't know that you were a previously an actor before. Do you think being an actor helps help uh, anything with anything? when it came to 
going into becoming a stage manager? Yeah, I had I no idea you acted. Oh yeah, yo. Um, yeah, the the more that you can sort of cross train as a stage manager, the better, because you need to be able to anticipate needs. You need to be able to do that kind of precursory work so that you can sort of answer the questions that people didn't know that they're going to have later. Uh, and so the only way that you can do that is by you know having different levels of experience. I've been an actor. I've been a sound designer. I've been a lighting designer. I've been a projections designer, which I was terrible at. Uh, I've been uh, a scenic designer, which I was also really bad at. I've worked in costumes. I've done all of those different things so that I would have a little bit more of an understanding of what the needs around me are. And so that when you know, a lighting designer looks at me and says, I need to change out that entire system of lights color that's hanging there over the house, I understand like, ah, okay, so that's not on an electric that's going to come down to the stage level. So you're going to need to go up to the lights. And that's a lot of lights. That's a big system. So you're going to need some time and really having an understanding of what it is that people mean when they say it. And one of the best ways to do that is to cross train as much as possible. And my cross training as an actor or early training as an actor just helps me to understand what it is, what it's like to create an environment in which people can feel comfortable being vulnerable, which is very, very complicated to do, but it's it's a bit of a nuance in the industry. So yeah, so it's it's basically a job where you're not really good at anything, but you know a little bit about everything. And because of that, now you can relate to everyone and kind of, I don't know, work some kind of synergy. Is this, this is basically what you're doing? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, the things you have to be good at detail orientation, um, you have to be able to grant people their humanity. People are not just their job descriptions and and it's not a stage manager's job to treat them as such, you know, and, and it's also a stage manager's job to sort of you know, demand that for themselves too. You're not just a set of keys as a stage manager, right? You're not just there to open doors. You're there to be an, an integral part of the creative process, even though your job isn't considered quote unquote creative. Uh, and so you you have to be able to do all that and you have to be able to translate, speak a lot of different languages. You have to turn director speak into lighting designer speak into sound speak into costume speak all within, you know, the course of a couple of minutes within a production meeting and things like that. And so it's helpful to have those skills and then just have a basic understanding of all of the other moving parts and elements around you so that you can remain current in those things and continue to keep yourself up to date with them so that you can really help serve your process. You know, you need to be an extension of everybody else instead of expecting everyone else to be extension of yourself. When you've worked on, you've worked on so many different shows, when you, uh, the difference between seeing a show just for fun and going out to a theater show and for, just for fun, and then also seeing a show that you've worked really hard on as mm -hmm. a stage manager, is it is it a different feeling? Do you get a different feeling um, from from watching a, a regular show just for fun, or or a show or a show that you really worked on? Yeah, I mean, you'll hear a lot of stage managers talk about how they hate going to go see theater because they can't turn their quote unquote stage manager brain off. Yeah, that is not me at all. I can turn my stage manager brain off with absolutely no guilt and no hesitation. I love it. I love going to the theater and just watching work when I feel like going to the theater. Um, I, I have a really sort of specific list of things that I cut out of my life if I'm feeling like I'm starting to burn out just so that I can continue to dedicate myself to the to my work. So if, in a, if I'm in a position where I feel comfortable going to the theater and watching a show, I love it because I'm perfectly happy to turn off my quote unquote stage manager brain. I could care less in that situation. You know, I just want to be able to sit down and enjoy sort of, I want to be, be bewildered. I want to not have to worry about how do they make that thing work. I'll ask those questions afterwards, but I'm not going to sit there the entire time I'm watching the show. I would so much rather be 
be blissfully ignorant about it. So I love being able to just sit down and watch a show. And then of course, there's an enormous sense of pride that comes with being a, a stage manager and particularly a calling stage manager because those are really the only stage managers that get to actually see the show. Stage managers yeah. backstage don't get to see it. Uh, but you know, I love being able to do you know those complicated sequences that you thought you'd never get, and you know that everybody is back there. You know, the rest of your team is back there busting their you know busting their butts to achieve and everything. And so that that part is you know a sense of pride that I really really enjoy, and that you know we should be okay with taking pride in our work. And I don't I don't know why there's a stigma that we can't do that, but we absolutely should. And particularly as stage managers, because like you said, we help to we help to create these miracles. We help to create, we help to achieve the impossible. Um, and and I love that. So it, it they're both very positive experiences for me. Uh, yeah. Calling a show, watching a show that I've worked on happen, and watching a show that I had nothing to do with. They just come from sort of a different part in the heart. I didn't even think about that. So a lot of the shows that you work on, you are in the back. So you don't actually see the show. Are there are there plenty of shows you've worked on and never actually saw the full show go through? Oh, like, absolutely. absolutely. I'm, yeah, I mentioned that 206 person Tempest. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea what that show looked like. No oh. idea at all. But I know oh it was gosh. incredible, and I know it was an amazing. Shows, yeah, so don't even know what they look like. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's just what it is. I mean, even the yeah. show that I'm doing with the LA Phil right now, this incredible opera that has this big 60 foot globe that is also a projection surface that also opens and closes. That you know, there are certain parts of it that rotate. There are doors that open and close on a pulley system. I have no idea what any of it looks like, but I know it's gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> I know what the inside of the globe looks like, and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. No, that, that's that's new for me. Um, <laughs> for, for the shows that you worked on that you did get the chance to see mm -hmm. um, this this year, what would, what would you say was something you really enjoyed that you thought was, was really good? Uh, Lights Out, Nat King Cole. Uh, incredible show that I did at the Geffen, directed by Patricia McGregor, written by her and uh, Coleman Domingo. Um, he and Patricia really put together a really stunning piece about the fever dream that took this fictional fever dream that takes place before Nat King Cole goes on stage for his final show of the Nat King Cole show. Yeah. Um, and it deals with, you know, race, it deals with um, it deals with generationalism. It deals with uh, uh, it deals with being away from your family for your work and things like that. It's an incredible, incredible piece that I absolutely loved. And the fact that I got to watch it as I called it, even though it was a musical, and usually stage managers have their face buried in the book. You know, when you do a show, I think we did that show fifty-two times. You get a little bit more comfortable, and you know the piece and things like that. And so you get to watch certain parts and everything. Is that um, longer than is that longer than normal fifty two shows? Yeah, it was extended two weeks. So usually we do we usually do eight shows across two across five weeks at the Geffen. So it's usually forty shows. And then this one we ended up extending two weeks, and we had to cancel two shows for a power outage, which is funny because the show is also called Lights Out. Uh, but you know that's that's just yeah. that's that's my stage manager humor, uh, <laughs> or perhaps my dad humor. I don't know. But uh, but that was an incredible piece to just be able to watch because it it really. Um, it really just took people out of their out of their comfort zones and it told an incredible story and, and to be able to watch Julie Hill and Daniel J Watts just tap their behinds off every single night uh, was just an incredible experience as well as the work from the rest of the cast. Uh, it, it, it was pretty amazing. Uh, and so I think that would be one of my favorite ones. And then uh, also a Christmas Carol, which we did at the Geffen, but it was a one person Christmas Carol featuring uh, Jefferson Mays. And so to watch him cycle through and tell that story from the, 
you know, from over a hundred different characters. Uh, and then to have all of these scene shifts that we used automation to create, um, two, we had two tracking walls, one tracking door flat that they both moved stage left to stage, right, and could run into each other. So there was that safety part of the programming that was a part of it. We had a hinging ceiling that also had, um, an electric, uh, a, a row of lights that could come in when the ceiling was open, but then that needed to go away before the ceiling could close. We had two hinging walls on the opposite side or on, on opposite sides of the stage, a turntable and live flame and a bed that came on and off stage, as well as a guy in a burka and a bakalava in a dark stage on six inch no six i can't remember how tall it was but like six maybe 16 inch uh carpenter stilts that had to walk on a rotating turntable with tombstones coming out of a ground and a grave opening to the to the to the pit so it was an incredible experience just because of the amount of stuff that was happening and that show over the course of an hour 20 some odd minutes um in order for it to go from beginning to end we every single thing had to go perfectly and line up and that was an incredible experience to make that happen after you have the after you've had your experience now with shows where you actually get to see the show while you're doing your job and then there's shows where you don't see the show um do you think there's an advantage to being able to see the show while you're doing your job yeah i love being able to actually see the show uh so if i'm calling from backstage i always want a, a front view um camera or if I'm calling from the booth, I'm usually okay. I just want an infrared camera that's also front facing. And the reason why I like seeing the show is because of safety purposes. I want to be able to, I don't want to have my face buried in a book, which is why I try to get as comfortable with the piece as early as possible. So I can start to look up and make sure that everybody's safe, especially in a piece like Lights Out and uh, Christmas Carol. There's a lot of moving parts. And when those moving parts meet people, people tend to get hurt. And so you want to not, you know, you want to not do that uh, as, as basic as that sounds, uh, but you want to keep people safe. And me being able to see the show allows you to make sure that everybody is safe. Yeah. I, I, I really, uh, I actually, I really wanted to see that show uh, lights out. Um, I heard it was great. We had another reviewer, uh, Matthew Robinson, one of our other reviewers on the mm -hmm. actual review that show. He loved, he loved the show. He gave it, uh, I think he gave, I think he gave it a nine out of 10 and exceptional. Nice. So that's, that's one of the highest scores you can really get off our website. So he 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 loved he really really loved the show and I uh, while I didn't see the show I think it's a an amazing concept to cover someone like uh, Nat King Cole because he's got this image of being so universal yes everyone everyone kind of kind of like love loves him so it's all you always see him from everything he does in such a positive a positive way all the time so it's very interesting to uh look at some kind of media or some kind of representation where not everything is always was not everything was so happy as it seemed portrayed yeah um, for for him and that there, there was a lot a lot of things going on things that were very complicated for for especially for a black man during that time so that was that's that's i feel like that's the concept sounds amazing so yeah I, I, while i didn't see it and i can't comment on how good the show was I, i've met a lot of people uh, who uh, I respect their opinions and they, they just said, they just, they, they said the world about this show. So yeah, I have the I feeling hope, I, hope I can re I hope I can see it when it, maybe they re remounted or something. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, I have a feeling that the Geffen playoffs won't be the last stop for that show. I mean, one of the things that, you know, you talk about the universality of, um, of Nat King Cole, but we tend to forget that, you know, he had to put makeup on before every show to lighten his skin in order to be acceptable as a black man on television. We forget that they burned a cross in his front lawn here in California. We forget that, you know, somebody 
put a bullet through or threw a brick through his window and, 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 and all these other things or shot a bullet through his window. Um, you know, we forget about those things in favor of remembering the Nat King Cole show, you know what I mean? And so it was, it was an amazing sort of, um, opportunity to be able to get to tell the rest of the story, you know, in this really abstract sort of, um, a world, B world, C world place, uh, to where, you know, we have all these different realities and these different dimensions that are taking place throughout the show. Well, again, Ross, thank you. It's always great talking to you. Thank you for coming on LA Theater Bites. And uh, hope, hopefully you can come on again and maybe we can talk in, a, in the next uh, two or three years or something like that and see, yeah, right. <laughs> and see where you are in the new world, uh, you know, and then we can catch up. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hey, look, uh, thank you so much for having me on. I hope that it is not uh, two or three years. Maybe we'll do this again uh, much sooner so I get to see yeah, you sooner. Uh, sure, and, sure. and uh, you know, I appreciate all of the work that y'all are doing down there and everything. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always been in awe of uh, both you and Elena and all the, Elena, all the work that y'all are doing and all the effort that y'all put forth. So congratulations to you, man. And, and thanks again for letting me be a part of this. It means a lot. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. So, all right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right, homie. All right.